0: Wonderful! I did not know that that was coming, but uh, a very seasonal welcome to the latest episode of Connect. This we have uh, a focus today on rural networks and uh, and maybe some craziness because I've uh, might be a little bit over caffeinated. Um, I uh, I also um, I forgot my drink. Um, which is just water, but, um, I may have to turn my camera up for a second to go grab that if I, um, if I disappear, that's why this time, um, this is going to be exciting though. And we have several shows, uh, at the end, we'll talk briefly about what's coming up next. Uh, but I'm very excited for people who follow the, con- the community broadband bits podcast that I do. Uh, Russ Elliott was recently a, a guest on them, uh, on there. Uh, he's now running Cisco telephone. Uh, welcome to the show, Russ.
1: Hey, thanks, Chris. Good to be here and and, uh, happy holidays to you and everyone.
0: Yes. And um, uh, Russ is uh, a lot of formers uh, that we can we can talk about. Uh, Most recently, uh, former head of the uh, Washington State Broadband Office, where he did all of the hard work to set them up for success to distribute a billion dollars. And now he's uh, moved to uh, Northern California to work for a small independent telephone company. It's pretty exciting. we also have uh, Casey Irving joining us. Um, Casey comes to us from uh, Deeply Clear Networks Digital. Um... <laughs> A massive <master laughs> of
2: all the company names.
0: I love I love mangling names from uh, from two firms, uh, deeply digital that builds fiber networks and Clear Networks that operates on networks. And uh, Casey um, has been on some of the Community Broadband Bits podcasts in the past, and even pinch hit for me when I had to abandon a panel at Connect <laughs> or at a Mountain Connect uh, earlier in the summer. So welcome, yeah, second Casey. Second
2: string for Podcast House. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs>
0: um, and so um, Russ actually had some work did some work in. Um, uh, the Western Slope, where Casey's the, been been spending all of his time working. And uh, so I figured that we would have both of them on to talk about the challenges of building in extremely, um, not just rural, but rocky and challenging, very low-density environments. Um, as usual, we have Travis Carter back. Travis, welcome.
3: You too, Chris. Sorry I missed you at the volleyball game. I ran out. I thought... I thought you weren't there. So,
0: yeah, no. Uh, Stanford hired me to shoot uh, both games, so um, I was uh, I was there. Uh, but apparently, I don't know if I lost weight or gained weight. If you didn't see me running around, but uh, well, it must have looked a little different. We saw
3: we saw your doppelganger there, so we did see somebody that looked like you, but. Yes. Yeah. I don't think
0: he would be flattered by that. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, exciting times as we go through the NCAA tournament for uh, women's volleyball and, uh, encourage people to check it out if you haven't seen it before on ESPN, but it's, it's exciting. Every point is exciting. Um, But today, we're going to start with, um, oh, I guess I should introduce myself for people who are not familiar, but ILSR is the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, where I run the broadband program and uh, try to uh, help the industry move forward, whether that's uh, municipal networks that we're very supportive of, public-private partnerships, uh, locally-rooted providers, um, you know, generally trying to find ways to make sure people have high-quality internet access. So we're going to do Telecom Peekaboo very briefly uh, this time. And um, this is one that I shot myself, uh, I believe.
3: Ooh, what do Um, we got?
0: I think we got the start of a slideshow. Um, So we're still working out the kinks here because I think that's the same photo. (laughs) But this is, I wonder if anyone can guess where this is because I thought it was so cool that they did this. And it might be controversial among some audiences. Any thoughts?
3: Casey, what do you
2: think? I mean, are we looking at like some sort of like five G cell or something like that? Looks pretty small, but yeah, it's quite small.
1: I have no idea. It's probably in a national forest somewhere where it's not supposed to be, and you didn't get a permit.
0: It's actually in uh, Minnesota State Park, uh, Vermilion, um, I believe, in which my um, wife's going to kill me if I got that wrong because she works for the Department of Natural Resources. But um, they were made in an effort to really bring Wi Fi to the parks and um, allow people to um, sort of uh, experience them with their devices and things like that. And I thought it was kind of cool. They, they painted it brown, they kept it small. Um, and well, if you zoom got, in, you have
3: two different things here, though. So if you go back. Yeah, they're yeah. next to each other. Yeah, you've got one that looks like it is the Wi-Fi access point, right? Right. And I think that was a previous image. Yep, yep, and the, yep. That that looks like an access point, and then they must be tied into these backhaul antennas. Here would be my mm-hmm. guess.
0: I think so. I think they did not yep. run fiber throughout the park. Shame,
3: um, on them. shame on them.
0: Now, if you can zoom in on the other image, I just thought it was kind of funny. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're able to zoom in on the antenna um, at the top, the two that are that are vertical that are at the um, up and. Maybe we haven't figured out how to do that yet. Um, they, um, there's a spider living up there, and yeah. I, I was wondering if it would be a, a radiated super spider that if I could get it to bite me, I would turn into Spider-Man. Um,
2: <laughs> Did you try?
0: <laughs> um, uh, it was toward the end of the camping trip, and I think we were, our patience was running a little thin. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> I thought no life could live where there's wireless service and signal. I thought that yeah. I thought that was the end of it. I think you bring in five G or anything like that; it
0: just kills everything. It could be that that spider had just moved in and hasn't yet realized that it's doomed.
3: Right. But think about. But hold on. So you're out camping, you're supposed to be enjoying nature and enjoying your, you know, your time away from your computer, and there's an access point right there, huh?
0: So here's the thing, right? Like I go camping and I still like want to like check in on things, including phone
3: the whole time.
2: Yeah,
0: no, not the whole time, but I like to check the weather among other things. I like to you know, stay yeah. in touch a
2: little bit, you know, well, at like, least for like emergency services. Right. Like, you know, yeah. if, if something happens out there, I want to be able to call someone, do something. Yeah. Right. And on top of that, um, we actually weren't even
0: camping. We were just staying um, near the park because uh, it's COVID and uh, you can't find camping spaces anywhere. They all get booked up a year in advance oh, and then half the people don't even bother showing up, but you can't
3: take the site. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, you know, Chris, we periodically talk about all these challenges and everything with with construction. One just kind of dawned on me that I don't know if we've ever discussed before. See, dark, five o'clock central time already. Yes. Yes, so that's, we need to add that to our repertoire of issues associated with construction. So,
0: so you—I ha- I was asking you, Travis. With uh, I don't know, Casey and L El- and Russ, I don't know if you're having abnormal weather, but um, our ground is not frozen despite some hard efforts in the last couple days. Travis, you still have full crews out?
3: Yep, yep. Well, except we're supposed to get heavy snow tomorrow. <clears throat> so we'll see. They're not sure if they'll be out. I envision they'll be out through Christmas.
0: Yeah. And so is that, I don't know, Casey, do you have to take a break when you're getting like feet of snow at a time?
2: We're seeing that too. So, you know, we operate in a couple of different markets like down here in Montrose where our headquarters is at, you know, we can usually work throughout most of the winter and that's partly just, you know, we have our own in-house construction group those guys are used to it. So they're willing to work through it. And as long as the ground isn't completely frozen, we can be out there, but then you get up into the mountain towns and yeah, we do have a construction season up there. So um, we are, lacking for snow right now i mean the ski resorts can't open on you know in colorado pretty much anywhere right now and um we i guess the rest of the state would probably like to see some snow but for us we're just glad that we've got a couple extra months you know to work that helps us get some stuff done so
0: yeah i was just talking to someone russ said before the show i was asking you about another county near you and i was talking with them and and they're like yeah we get a lot of snow at times it makes it difficult and um i was thinking a lot of snow well i'm kind of familiar with that and they're like yeah like five feet
1: <laughs> yeah yeah. you know it, it's it's interesting here in northern california i never never figured to find myself here but being here now it's very similar to southwest colorado and that there is a lot of snow that happens here but in the same light you've seen the fires that are going on up here in the summers uh and that's because we're not getting the moisture in the winter yeah. and, and if you can kind of see up back behind it's a beautiful day out here today it's a extended beautiful you know fall day out here and, and uh unfortunately you know it's just not coming like it used to and i you know did a tour of the the, the the network serving territory, which is up in the hills here in Northern California. And there's not a trace of anything that looks white, you know, anywhere. And it's really kind of scary after coming off of the last couple of years we've come off of with regard to mm-hmm. the wildfires and some of the droughts.
0: So with the darkness, Travis, do you guys just uh, light things up or mm-hmm. uh, do they knock off early? I mean, how do you handle uh,
3: that? Yeah, you generally get out of there early. You know, you don't want to, you know, get stuck. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't want, you, you kind of, you, your day gets reduced. Where in the summer, we'll, you know, we'll work till 7, thirty, eight at night when it's still light out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, if I was better prepared, I should have, Travis, had you um, include that. In fact, maybe I'll dig out the photo of the rock that you um, found. Um,
3: oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
0: I true. feel like yeah. maybe maybe Casey and Russ will find that that's not even that big of a rock, but um, yeah. in the in the. Under- I was gonna say, point- is
2: now our time to pull out pictures of rocks because yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, our construct like we can compare rock sizes. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so I I did want to
0: um I did want to start um with a couple of subjects that we'll be talking about. One um we'll we'll come to next, which is I think um, excitement, fears, um and um uh, regarding uh, the the hopes and fears will be the next uh, thing that we talk about. But uh, we'll start I think talking about just some of the the challenges that you face. And and I know that Russ, you had uh, mentioned to me in particular that you're trying to get to two. Homes, in which is like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> so uh, I'm hoping that's not the norm, but but just give us a sense of what it's like building in. Um, what do you got? Like you got like eight thousand uh, people. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. So we're about twenty four hundred square miles here, and we've got about forty four hundred total homes to touch. So we're truly frontier in nature. You know, we've got less than two homes a, a square mile. And uh, this is truly a tough place to build. And, and, you know, the way it's worked out, this company is very much fiber focused and and we fiber fed most of the more urbanized areas, you know, urban in our in our territory. But those last miles now, as you start to reach out there, that middle mile can be very expensive. And, uh, you know, some of the biggest challenges we see here are, you know, that we've got to get out there deep into some areas so we can get some middle mile backhaul in to do last mile work. And uh, in some of those regions, you know, your rocks on down single lane highways at 8,000 feet and, and uh, you know, you're hoping nobody's coming either way. And, and, and it's costing you 90 bucks a foot to do it, you know, and that's that's unheard of type numbers. You know, we're used to hearing, oh, it's 30,000 bucks a mile, 40,000 bucks a mile, 50,000. But we're talking we're talking big mile numbers now as we start to get out there. But we got big mile number f- funding coming, too. So I think we need to start to keep that in perspective.
0: In casey is that, is that sort of in line or is that an or is that an escalation over what you have to deal with?
2: no, I mean it's exactly the same yeah, and you're trying to build out into those real communities. i mean we have <clears throat> there's a mixture of you know different grounds we have to deal with, but sometimes you do just find yourself just yeah pulling rock up in all sorts of wrong places and it it sucks to deal with i mean it varies by community and your hope is that you know you can you know, hook up enough people that have good soil next to their house uh, before you get to the rocky ones. And hopefully those are going to help you pay back that customer who's got, you know, a ton of rocks in their front yard.
0: So, Travis, what should we ask here? What are we gonna, What are we uh, talking about in
2: rural areas?
3: Well, so, OK, so educate me. So, Casey, what part of the country are you in? Colorado
2: or? Right. We're in western Colorado.
3: So what's kind of the, the makeup of your um, your topography there? Is it mountainous or is it? Rural yeah, like
2: plains and. So we're you're know, in a very mountain region. Um, okay. You know specifically where we're headquarters. We're in a valley, but you know about an hour, in pretty much any direction, you're hitting some pretty serious um, mountains. Okay. So you know like, um, we have a we call it Red Mountain Pass, but it's like one of the most dangerous passes. You know really you can travel at any time of the year, but during the winter, you know oftentimes I shut it down just because you can't drive on it with with snow, and so you know, to go build in a community like that and try and put fiber in the ground is, yeah, it's not super easy. So what we'll do a lot of the times is winter months, we'll come down into the valley, try and work there. And then uh, summer months, we'll, we'll try and be up in those mountain towns, get as much as we can done. But mostly are you, mountains. are you
3: predominantly underground or do you do aerial plant as well?
2: Uh, we'll do both, but you know, wherever we can, especially for like any middle mile or, you know, really core, infrastructure, we try and put it underground. It really just depends, you know, how fast we can deploy. It. I think ultimately we'd like to get everything underground, but if it's cheaper to deploy aerial, then sometimes we'll do that with the purpose of putting it underground, maybe in the next three to five years. Okay. And I know that
0: I know that Russ can't really go above ground cause of fires. What do what, what you face, Casey? Why wouldn't you put everything above ground? Is there like a threat or is it just a cost or issue or, or, or overhead issue?
2: Cost is a big thing. It's just, you know, it's a lot to maintain that fiber. There's all sorts of things that can happen. You know, the fiber gets hit with a dump truck. Some guy who's you know driving has his dump truck lifted up. That aerial fiber gets taken out. You know, obviously that's a big deal. Um, you know, fires are a big thing in our region. Just um, you know, bad poles. Um, the pole attachment fees though can easily kill you. Um, and I think that's pretty scary for us, especially for when we're dealing with so many different um, you know utility providers and different pole owners. The fee structure is so different, so one, it make, makes sense, and others, it's, you know, so hard to, to I guess, gauge that.
0: I see a lot of head nodding from Russ.
1: Yeah, no, no, no question. I, you know, that, that was one of the big things, just from my experience in Washington. You know, we had a lot of people that wanted to do more broadband and wanted to do more fiber construction above ground, because it is less expensive if you can do it. Um, but the, the, the pole attachment agreements, the leases, the fees, the uncertainties, uh you know it, and, and the deregulation of some you know the unregulation of some of that stuff is really challenging for for providers to to
2: do good work in that space yeah the other thing that comes up too is like you know these are mountain towns so they're tourist areas and a lot of those um, municipalities don't like poles and so um some of them might have uh, regulations in place to prohibit us from putting stuff up or you know the potential like hey I may throw it up on poles this year but in 2 years they're going to tell you you have to go put it all underground so Right. Um, that's why we've leveraged our own in-house construction because sometimes we can almost make it as cheap to put it underground and then, you know, it's obviously going to last a lot longer. You have to deal with a lot less risk in that case.
3: And in that area, in those, uh, topographies, are you directly boring everything
2: or are you open? Not everything. Through? Some okay. communities we have to, cause they'll require it. Um, okay. but you know, it, wherever we can trench, wherever we can save costs, we'll trench or plow or whatever the okay. um, municipality or County will allow us. Got it. Travis, you want, uh, hey, I got thousands of
3: questions. Yeah, so. no, I'm I'm hoping you do. <laughs> so, are you guys considered underserved in the areas that you guys um, serve currently? So, have you been have you been uh, uh, able to take advantage of a lot of these federal and state grant programs that are available? And if if you have, how challenging are they? it's one thing I think we we don't talk about very often on uh, uh, on this. Co- uh, on this podcast here is just the logistics of what it takes to go through these programs and the mountains of paperwork to go through them that before you get your first dollar and how that all works. And then, and then how do banks look at that too, you know, for, for getting additional financing? So I don't know, Russ, what, you're probably the expert in this cause you were running the broadband out of um, Washington, right? Is, yeah. just how, is, is it, if you're, if you're an upstart ISP, working to serve your area. Is it worth the effort?
1: Yeah, it, it really depends. I mean, I've had a lot of experience with the USDA program, obviously, the, probably the most prevalent from the regard from, with regards to infrastructure funding and broadband, you know, when you get the ReConnect or Community Connect or one of the programs they have there. And, and almost unanimously, the people that are successful in that space have, have expressed concern about that process, the lengthiness it takes to go through the application, and then really at the end, uh, the, the time it takes to get paid. You know, there's a lot of a lot of concern with regard to getting paid in a timely fashion after you've already made all these expenses. So, there is some challenge there. And I think that needs to be addressed at the federal level to where there is a little bit more leniency that with regard to state funds and those kind of things. That money still has yet to kind of hit the ground a little bit in this last in this last CARES Act fund. Some of these states got a little bit more aggressive, and, and kudos to them for doing that. Um, and and those funds are a little bit easier to access and a little bit more ready to get. And I think Colorado's done some of that. I've seen some work there out of the broadband office there and. Wyoming, obviously. But, you know, that, that money's still yet to, to really get flowing here. And I think you'll see the states will
3: probably uh, make that process a lot more streamlined. I mean, historically, has it been worth the effort for companies? Because, you know, Chris always talks about how the big guys get it, you know, the high percentage of the available money. And I wonder if it's just there, you know, they can hire people to sit there and do this all yeah. day. But if you're a small operator like the rest of us, is it really worth the additional expense and how do banks look at it you know as is it is it realistic supplemental financing that you can leverage against or do they look at it as a potential liability because you don't know when you're going to get paid go ahead casey
2: man i could go down a rabbit hole i mean we talk we're a small company and we're yep. you know completely privately owned and funded you know so for us to go make fiber investments and to try and build out rural communities, it is so hard. And I mean, you almost have to with grants, I feel like, because, you know, it's as close as you can get to free money. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the banks in our experience have been really difficult to explain what we're trying to do, the security and hooking up and building fiber customers, and then just the long term, you know, that it takes to hook up that customer, but then pay for the fiber build, especially in a rural community where there's not a lot of density. So banks have been slow to understand and and maybe get what we're trying to do or why it's you know it'll work in the end, um, and we've really struggled with that. So we've had to focus on grants. That's had to been a focus of ours, um, or even just finding people in the industry who are interested in investing and trying to work with them on you know just creative funding sources. Um, even you know with the ARPA dollars coming down into the counties, approaching the counties and, and trying to you know, help them with, hey, we've got some cool programs we'd love to work with you on because maybe the state or the federal level has a ton of paperwork, but I could go directly to the county and they're getting $8 million and maybe I can tell you how to spend $2 million of that to hook up a lot of people with broadband. Okay. That's
0: something that we uh, we actually talked about, Travis, on a on a show that I think if you went back and listened to again, you'd probably recognize Casey's um, voice. Uh, and if you for people, I put a link in the in the chat, but. Um, uh, the first time that they went through the process of getting money, it was a nightmare because they they had, they weren't sure what to expect and everything else. And then in the end, it literally, CenturyLink took the money away from that yeah. and then used it to build, they, they didn't get as much money, but they went through all this effort to get money for a community. And then CenturyLink ended up getting money instead and building a crap solution. (laughs) What a terrible (laughs) experience. Maybe not even doing that. Maybe CenturyLink didn't even do that, actually, though. I mean, like, they didn't actually, they just took the money and ran. Who knows? Like,
2: It's crazy. It took us about a year to heal from that, (laughs) like, experience, because we were convinced after that point. Why go after grants? We did all this work, and really what we did at the end is we wrote this really cool application to hand all that millions of dollars, well, I think it was close to a million dollars of funding, to our competitor, and... And that was crazy to us, and thankfully there was some changes in the legislation and how that process worked a little bit. And there's still a lot of frustrations, um, but yeah, I think you know we've we've put a focus on grant funding because we recognize it's it's probably one of the cheapest ways to build broadband.
0: Well, and one of the things I think you've done that's worked well, Casey, is you went to the schools, and again we talk about this in the podcast some, and That's where what we were talking about at Mountain Connect and the mm-hmm. the panel we put together, where um, I think the schools got a pot of money. And they were like, well, we'd like to connect kids, but we don't know anything about how to do this. And and you saw that number of places, I would say the schools were kind of getting suckered maybe. And and you said, you know what, like we could work with the schools if they want to partner with us. We'll use that money to like get free connections out. And um, I don't know if you want to tell, talk a little bit about what you ended sure. up working out there.
2: It's great. I mean, that's been, you know, probably the most creative we've ever gotten with funding. But basically, you know, Colorado took a bunch of money that was coming in through CARES Act. And part of that money went to um, the Colorado Department of Education. And it was for the purpose of trying to connect students. And that could be used in a myriad of ways. And for whatever reason, the focus and the, you know, the main point that was being made by, I feel like most schools or, you know, most legislators was, yeah, go buy (laughs) hotspots. Why? (laughs) Like, there's millions of dollars of funding, go build fiber. go build something that you can connect people with. So so we thought it was crazy. So we approached our schools and said, if you write the grant, um, we'll you know, help you with all the data. We'll say, we're gonna go build into these underserved areas, these financially challenged areas because they were being overlooked by service providers. Um, and you know, we'll take that money, we'll go deploy the infrastructure and then we'll match it with cost savings. So we'll set up these programs that basically offer free internet for uh, free and reduced lunch students. And then we'll offer $10 monthly discounts and free installations to all other students and staff members. Um, And it was great. It worked well. I mean, you know, we're wrapping up deploying a lot of that fiber, and we worked with three school districts. And now it's to the point where, you know, even with, you know, private investors or impact investors, we're interested in that program enough to where we're expanding it to, you know, other markets. And we're using that as a mechanism to go into places like Delta or, you know, some of the other markets we're looking at to build fiber service, even in underserved communities, and then match that with, you know, cost savings for maybe financially challenged households.
0: Now, Russ, I'm, I'm I'm curious if sort of the years that you were out of the game of actually directly running networks and things, were you really excited to get back into it? Um, are there things that you're just really excited to be doing now that you're you're actually in charge of wires again?
1: Yeah, I, I, for me, it's being back into the community like Casey's talking about. The more you could do that you know, my background is in Casey's territory back when Casey was a baby, I was, I was providing service all across Western Colorado and uh, driving over Red Mountain Pass when it had 18 yeah. inches of snow on it yeah. in my excursion and, and putting, putting life in everybody in my, in, in, in the hands of whoever was watching over us at the time. But, you know, we were, we were running all around that. And I love that because you really, as you do that community work, you get endeared with those communities. Those communities really appreciate that. And it just feels such, it's such, such good work. And, and to be back now in a in a small rural community where I have that opportunity to give back in this in this way is is really been a, a big win for me. And you know, public service is not for everybody. You know that 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 running those those Briar offices and and being in the government of, of of this business, it's a challenge. You know that's a that's a big that's a big lift. You know and and uh, and uh, you know you talked we talked about that last time, Chris. It's a, it's a challenge. So it's good to be back in this.
0: Yeah, I wonder if we could get a reality show, Travis. You and me um, running a broadband program somewhere in government.
3: <laughs> oh, they wouldn't like that because we you'd make sure that they were people were actually delivering. I love that guy you had on the podcast last week that's like we've already spent enough money to hook everybody up. Why are we John Chambers? Have- it was freaking fabulous. So do you think if we spend the money again, it'll happen this time around? And that's my worry on this is you know, yeah. Put it in but- Russ and Casey's hands, people are gonna get gonna get hooked up. But what about the rest of the country?
0: Well, Travis, I mean, let's be, I feel like people have an unrealistic expectation. The first time you do anything as a business, I'll bet it sucks, right? Like you learn from it. And, um, and now there's a lot of like, I mean, anyone could have told you seven years ago that giving uh, AT&T billions of dollars was not a good plan, Um, but we have at least moved on from it and we're hopefully not going to do it again. Um, AT&T now has to go to States to get that money.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But now, okay. So all this new money that they're printing comes out for broadband. How does it get into Casey and Russ's hands? Russ is the
0: perfect person to ask for that.
3: Easily without, you know, and, and where you can leverage it to to build out and actually serve people That because has that process changed?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Travis, because that's right where we're at right now. You know, all this money starting to get ready to flow and the states are allocating it pre to having mm-hmm. it. Right. So they're getting ready to allocate. Legislators are putting that money out there and they're saying, OK, go. And, and now the programs are getting set up and those programs need to come exactly with what you guys just said. And it was a big point of mine in Washington state accountability. We've got to make certain that if you give money out that, that infrastructure is being built, there's milestones being met. And if not, we need to pull the funding quicker and sooner, you know, and make certain that we're getting people, getting people to do the work they say they're going to do. Um, but the answer right now is we've got to be working with our state legislators. We've got to be working with our county officials or, you know, and just the different officials to ensure that money is going where it's intended to go. You know, this isn't the time to be serving the served already. You know, this isn't the time where the big counties and the big urban areas get extra money for broadband, certainly for the affordability component of it. Yes, everybody's going to be in that game. But this infrastructure money is specifically for these areas that will never, ever in our lifetime get served unless we allocate these funds correctly right now. So we need to make certain to get to those hands of those people that, are, that have a, a, a reputation
3: of successful deployment. So how do we know... Who are the haves and who are the have-nots right now? That's I think it, it's
1: by you've got to you've got to prove it. It's a show me. Let's let's all be Missouri for a while. You know, it's the show me. It's the show me time. Okay. You know, you've got to show me infrastructure. You've done. You've got to show me. You know, good work. And the people have to be speaking kindly of you. You can't just go in there and talk about yourself as great yeah right yep. that's 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 arrogance you know it's reverence when the people talk about you so it should be the people in service terry the people that you've served should be your testimony to these guys are good people and they're doing good work i think we should we should include broadband is a community up discussion now it is no longer a provider down driven conversation and we need to yeah. allow communities to have some say in this thing
0: no i absolutely agree and i think The challenge is how one goes about doing that because I mean, for instance, I got to think that if there's real community engagement, there's no way that AT and T gets another dollar in Mississippi. There's no way that Frontier gets another dollar in West Virginia. Um, But the problem is, is that if states basically ask, you know, certain counties and local governments. Those folks are just going to sort of pick the wrong entity to partner with, potentially. I mean, um, you know, I know that in Washington, um, Russ, there's a a preference, like the counties basically um, have extra points for who they choose to work with. Right. And that's in the current process that's going through. Um, My understanding is some of the counties didn't really have a good sense of how to make a good decision.
1: They, um, they didn't. And I think that's incumbent on these state officials to start to set these people up for success. You know, that county planning is critical right now. You can't do anything without planning, without understanding where you're going to put the dollars. And so that's where the office, the broadband office in Washington State was really going down the pathway of providing the resources for these counties to be successful. Right. You can't just assume, especially Wyoming, you think about some of the counties I was dealing with there, you know, population of six, you know, you can't expect them to lead that conversation. So you have to have some folks that are going to be there to help guide the way, help establish the process and make certain that they're they're assisting in making certain their success in, in that in that program.
0: Are there really six people in multiple counties in Wyoming?
1: (laughs) No, I'm going to get shot for saying that. But there were some towns with four. There were a couple of towns with four.
3: Wow. Lost Springs. Can you imagine even trying to serve them, though? Even if you got got the dollars for free, you still have to serve them for the next 30 years. So (laughs) doing utility locates, doing break fix, do it. I mean, for four, for six people, I don't know. I might pass on those dollars. So, you know, I guess I'm curious, though. Like in Colorado, Casey, is there a good, do you think the, the state has a good handle on the haves and have lots in your state? And Because I keep hearing like in Minnesota, this mapping. I, I, I went back like 10 years on this Minnesota broadband group and I started watching their meetings. They were talking about mapping 10 years ago and they're still talking about mapping today. And this mapping yeah. is going to drive the decisions on where to place these dollars. So I guess I'm concerned if if the maps are invalid... How are we going to navigate our way to the proper
2: destination that's really tough i I wish i could answer that question for you because i i sympathize you know i when we apply for grants with the state we have good and we have bad experiences and a lot of those are related to maps and to maybe inconsistency and how boards make decisions or even just, you know, changes in the board. There's not a lot of experience happening there. And, um, and but I sympathize with you know those guys who have to sit on those boards because some of them are providers, some of them are from public sector. I really believe you know a lot of those guys want to make the right decisions when it comes to broadband, but how do you do that? Um, unless you're from that area and you have immense knowledge and background on both telecom and you know the, the rural area and how you would go about serving that. You know, the mapping that's in Colorado, they try really hard. And I think everyone knows that it still does not hit the mark. I mean, that's a regular conversation, you know, amongst people in the state is, hey, we have a a cool map, but not everyone really believes that it's accurate. Mm -hmm. And so they always put the burden on the provider. Hey, you need to prove that, you know, service is not available here, which is tough. But, you know, where do you draw that line? Like Russ is saying, like, you need to prove that, (laughs) you know, the provider has to put some work into it. And so we feel like we go out and collect speed tests. And to an extent that puts us in good standing with the community, because we'll go out there and get 130 speed tests for an area. And those guys are all excited about it. And then you know, we say, hey, let's make this a community project. You know, don't assume that we're just going to come build it because we have the dollars. We need your help too. And you got to be a part of this. So it puts us in that position. Um, and it, you know, makes us more of a community provider than just someone who's got funding and is going to build where it makes the most sense. But uh, yeah, I don't know how to answer your question think, right there. Well, I think I, mapping
1: I, I, is I a... Deb- Okay, go for it, Russ. I, I do. You know, I mapping is near and dear to my heart. You know, I, that's one of the things, Travis, as I was in Wyoming, the first thing I thought is, I can't, I can't do anything until I know where people are and what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah. and what they have and what technology it is. So I developed a compelling map in Wyoming that allowed the people to tell me the story, not the providers, not anybody yeah. guessing, but I allowed them to tell the story. And then I partnered with a group in Washington State. I think Chris knows these folks really well, the Geo the Geo Partners Group. And we put together a, a, a citizen's broadband map that allowed the people to tell the story. Now the providers kick back and say, well, no, wait a second. They didn't take my highest level speed or wait, they might have crummy routers in their house. Yeah. But I was never looking for a one-off. I was looking for trends. And when I spotted trends because of my industry understanding and my technology understanding, I could sit there and say, you've got, You've got oversubscribed DSL services here. It's copper infrastructure. It will never make the hundred by hundred symmetrical uh, uh, goals that we've set ourselves up for in these in these regions. So we need to lift in place. Who's gonna do it? Incumbent, are you gonna do it? If not, who's next? Is it a community network? Is it a is it a, a competitor like Casey's team? Who who is it gonna be? But I think I think you have to allow the citizens to have a voice in this thing. And I think, you know, you can't quantify it until you qualify it. Right. And so, you know, people that sit back and say, my broadband sucks. You can't measure that. We should have a whole show on mapping one day. I think that would be that would be a good one. You know, I think what we have to do is talk about, you know, quantify that conversation, quantify that that description to me. What is sucks? You know, and then they could go on. They do the speed test. I get something. I understand. Okay, this is a ballpark of what they got there. I know what it is, you know, and, and we could start to have a little bit more of a conversation. But I mean, I mean, You know, I I think it's really simple right now to start to do some maps and do some speed testing with 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 reliable speed test. You know, components. And one last thing before I I, I know I'm, I I I get crazy on this love thing. Love the <laughs> energy. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you too that that it's not a there's not a silver bullet. I don't care if you spend ninety five million dollars with with the group in Seattle for FCC to do their map, or if the the other group with the Zillow group wants to think they've got a better forty five million dollar solution. The truth is, it's going to be this and this and this. It's not this or this. It's going to be a combination of how we can get that data to the best place it can be. Mm -hmm. And to Casey's point, he's grabbing a little information. The community's grabbing a little information. State has a little information. Now we're better educated and we can start to talk more intelligently about where it is the problems are and how we're going to how we're going to solve them, we're going to put our emphasis. Thank you.
0: Now, I want to I want to say yeah. something regarding the mapping. And I, and I feel like I'm curious how Casey and Russ particularly respond, because I feel like mapping is a double edged sword for both of you in that, um, you know, certain kinds of maps might suggest that this, the government would give money to a competitor to come in and compete with you which obviously you do not would prefer not to happen until <laughs> like, uh, different ISPs have different levels of horror at uh, the, the prospects of that with some saying, eh, I'm pretty confident I do a good job. Um, but I feel that the focus on mapping comes largely from the fear that we might accidentally give money to a company that would bring competition to CenturyLink. And that would be unfair. Uh, or AT and T, in that fundamentally we spend the majority of the complexity of these subsidy programs and the complexity of the mapping that we can't accept a, a basically good map. We have to have the perfect map, is because we couldn't possibly accidentally create some competition. That's what it seems to come down to for me, and I don't know if I'm overstating that or not.
1: No, we we couldn't. You know, we 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 just we just went through a process this last year, spending nine million dollars on 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 a crappy mapped. Uh, you know, a uh, process and Ardoff. you know, you, you allocated funds before you knew where they needed to go. Shame on, shame on the way that played out. You know, uh, we, you know it, it's, it's, a. Sorry, you know, were
0: you just saying, were you just saying that that's what people are saying or that is legitimate that the RDoF should have been delayed?
1: I think Ardoff. I I'm on record. I, I wrote an op-ed and sent it to, to Chairman Pai. I actually had Chairman Pai on a, on a, on a Zoom meeting with a community in Washington to show him that his maps were completely wrong. And that we were excluded from getting good funds into areas that needed it most desperately because his maps weren't, in, 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 in you know, not not correct. And, you know, they had $20 billion. They were all excited about moving that money. And, you know, and then they move it and they give it to, you know, satellite technology or whatever again, you know. And it, it just, to me, it's just, again, it's, it's you know, it's politically driven, not driven by by common sense.
0: So Casey, is there any point in your running an ISP where you're like, dang, I wish there was better maps?
2: I mean, absolutely. Part of that, you know, we've had to take on our own selves. Like, you know, we figured out pretty early on, we need to have our own GIS team because we need to put together the maps and we need to collect the data and we need to consolidate all this information into something that is visualized and presentable to people who have the ability to give us money. So that was, you know... (laughs) we had to go take that work. I wish it would be easier and we didn't have to spend tons of time, tons of resources, um, tons of money on that. And instead someone else had that solution, you know, especially if they're the one handing out the dollars, but that's unfortunately not the way it works. And so we got to be a participant in that and we got to go collect that data and and submit it at the end of the day.
0: Um, So we had a really great question in the chat, um, which I want to direct toward Casey in particular, because I know that you're building in a lot of different areas. Um, Are there times when you basically can't build because you don't have middle mile you you can't get back to somewhere you mentioned that you do build your own middle mile but like how much is middle mile really slowing you down
2: oh that's yeah it's i mean it slows us down and, and it's not necessarily always because it's not available it's like who who owns that middle mile and are they easy to work with or are they inexpensive sometimes um you know we helped Region 10 build a circuit from Montrose to a about 42 miles, um, in the time it took basically the incumbent um, carrier who has circuits to Uray, Um, We built that in a two-year process, and we got that done before we could get the uh, incumbent carrier to basically upgrade their switch so that we could get gigabit circuit in Ure and start serving the town. So that's where we struggle. Um, and we have to go sometimes build those solutions faster than we can get those guys to cooperate or work with us or just even upgrade circuit equipment. We have a town just on the other side of red mountain pass that, um, their circuit equipment that the town was fed by, it was plugged into our battery backup for the longest time because their battery backup died. And they just, they didn't even know they had a circuit there. I guess they, you know, we kept telling them, you guys need to come replace your battery backup. And they didn't. So
0: national company, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm trying not to name names, but yeah, <laughs> no, know, I, obviously it's a frustration. Whatever you feel and,
0: comfortable with, I think that's appropriate.
2: So it's a struggle for us. You know, sometimes we have to be that solution. We got to go build the middle mile. We got to partner with the community and, you know, help them build it in some way. You know, we're lucky enough to have people like region 10 who are willing to work with companies like us and, and figure out how to get it done. Whether that's we build the fiber and they are you strands or we help them build the fiber and they provide us, you know, the way to get into that community for low cost. So, um, That's something we struggle with every day. But yeah, it's, it's an issue, especially in the mountain towns. Like no one wants to go build over the mountain pass over, you know, some dangerous highway to get into that small town where there's not a lot of density. You don't have a lot of providers purchasing circuits there. So, you know, we got to build it because we want to service the last mile. Not anyone else really is incentivized to go do that.
0: Yeah, let me just, I want to give this back to Travis to make, let him ask some questions. But I want to note also, we haven't really fully explained how hard it is to build in the High Elevation Mountain Towns. Because I, I I know a little bit about Aloe building in Breckenridge and had a sense that with Breckenridge, <laughs> you have a situation where you can't be there on the weekends. You've got a very, you've got a very tight construction window in which you can work, you know, for mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know, like what is like 12 weeks of the year or something mm-hmm. like that. And then you have to basically spend Monday setting up and Friday breaking down. Um, and so you have have like only a, you know, like a limited number of days uh, per year in which you can work. I mean, it makes it luxurious to be in a place like Minnesota by comparison.
2: It's awful. I mean, it's, you know, the mountain towns, you're doing that and you're tearing up these nice roads. In some cases you can't board because, um, the, you know, the municipality won't let you. There's too many utilities. They're scared you're going to hit something so that you have to do asphalt cuts. And those that's where even in last mile situations, I'm just trying to build down this you know alleyway it's $90 per foot to put fiber in the ground to, you know, go hook customers up and it's, it's crazy. Um, then you got to deal with, you know, the people who live there and are upset that you're tearing up their roadway and they can't access their driveway, you know, for a, a day or two. So it's, it's awful. It's, you know, and there's challenges across the board. I'm sure with building fiber, you know, obviously we don't love doing it in the mountain towns, but, um, the best way we could figure out to do it was we hired and built our own construction crew because almost, because no one else would go do it. You would go approach a subcontractor. Hey, we'd really like to build up this mountain town. They go, no way. Either that, or I'm going to charge you like $125, you know, per foot. So the only way to get it done really is, you know, leverage your own guys and to have guys that are really experienced and really committed to just serving everyone, not just, you know, who's easiest to hook up
0: um let's come back to that question um from uh joel um uh travis do you want to ask a question quick before you do that
3: well i was i was just pondering what we were talking about here and there's a couple good comments in the chat about all the statistical data and i think russ said something that really piqued my interest is quality as well you know so all right let's let, You know, if you're running with a 1.0 Google star rating or if you're on Nextdoor and people are complaining nonstop about your service, should we be giving those operators additional dollars, taxpayer dollars, to continue the trend that they're already continuing? So, you know, it makes me wonder, we're always like speed, 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 speed. And the problem with speed, speed, speed is we can all argue about that forever. They didn't get my package, their router sucks, you know, all these type of issues. But you know what they can't get away from? If you've got three one-star ratings because your customer service is terrible, that's a trend. And should should they be should they be authorized to get additional dollars? So I kind of like the idea of all right, the area is underserved by our pseudo maps, but boy, Casey's running with a four and a half Google star rating. He should get four and a half dollars. For every dollar the one star guy gets, that's my new. That's I'm you know I'm going to champion that idea now. You because go ahead. Was, until, it's, until all Casey, customer, it's
2: all driven by customer
3: service.
0: Gacy needs to put some people in Denver. Yeah, if he wants yeah. to get more money.
2: No, yeah. I love the idea because I mean yeah. that's something we struggle with. Is and I feel like that partly comes down to not just the issue with building in a rural area, but the issue with operating in a rural area. Like um, no one talks about how when your switch goes down on the other side of a mountain pass, you gotta drive the two hours to go reboot Mm -hmm. that. And that's how a lot of these carriers are set up. Is like, hey, I got a couple employees in a strategic area to where I can go services. But when that mountain pass is shut down, those customers are just down until, you know, it opens back up and you can get over there. So, you know, we have to accept that our operational costs are gonna be higher because I need to make sure that those people have the same level of service and that they have someone in their town who's available to go down there, reboot a switch, help a customer get a router, you know, plugged back in correctly. And our operational costs are a lot higher because of those reasons, but we're willing to do that because we want to be the local provider. And the only way you can be the local provider is if you are able to offer the same level of service, you know, in really every market you're touching.
3: All right. So I'm I'm (laughs) going to champion the Rust score one to five, (laughs) right? So everybody gets $1 for every point you have over 250 reviews. (laughs) <laughs> so that's our new thing. I, I- Travis, I couldn't be. I
1: couldn't agree more with you. You know, as the state guy for when I was in Washington, I had to make. I had to pick winners and losers. You know, and a lot of that has to come down to quality of service. And you do hear that from those communities. Again, if we bring the conversation back to the community, the community will bring the regulation. You know, Chris and I had this conversation before. As a small incumbent in a rural community, I'm more regulated by the people in this community than I am by the federal and state government. That's, that's it. You know, these these people every day are seeing me at. at at the restaurant or at church at the schools, picking up my kid. And they're like, Hey, what's going on? You know? And it was the same thing when I was in Colorado. So, you know, it's hey, new
0: guy, fix my internet.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the competitors, you know, Casey and I are different. I'm an, I'm an incumbent. He's a competitor, right? So as competitors, they have to fight for that because they have to go down that pathway as an incumbent. Some incumbents get lazy, especially some of the bigger ones, you know, and you see that and, and that, you know, you're seeing more and more of that and it's, it's going to have a tremendous impact on, on how this, you know, how I think it should have a tremendous impact on how dollars are
3: allocated. So I'm championing the Travis, uh, the Travis uh, five-star money for stars. I I love it. Joel actually made, I think probably the most uh, wise statement in the chat where he basically said, nobody gets fired for buying IBM, you know, that old analogy in, in technology. So here's the reality. If you're a city manager and you got a few million dollars of CARES funds, giving it to Comcast, you don't lose your job. Right. That's it. You're, you're fine. You just you move on. You know, CenturyLink isn't going to complain about it. Comcast is going to indemnify you. And so they're not going to fight over it. You still have your job to move on to the next day. Why would you champion bringing bringing the young, you know, the new guys in to and give them the cash? You just open yourself up for all kinds of problems.
0: A really good comment noting, and Travis, you would get hit by this in particular. Um, you know, if you went by your reviews to USI wireless, uh, it might be a different story than if you go by the reviews to USI fiber.
3: Oh no, um, I understand. That's why I, I that's why I, you know how I said you know, 5G was not the competitor, wireless is terrible. Technology, it's good like if you have to get in somewhere or if you have line of sight, but trying to do it in an urban setting like we do, no, no not good. So I
0: just want to I just want to take a second because I've been uh, pissing off the wireless guys a lot lately. <laughs> uh the wireless folks lately. Um and, and I want to know Casey, wireless is a part of your strategy. So why don't you just give us a sense of of how you use it?
2: Yeah, fiber is expensive. I don't know if everyone knows that, but it's it's very expensive as we found and so um to go deploy that everywhere today or even next year is obviously impossible, but there are people who don't have broadband today that I would like to get them at least something until we can build fiber out to them. And really it's a strong revenue source for us to afford to be able to build fiber to them in the future. So, you know, we try and build fiber into the density areas. Um, And just, I say density areas. I mean, we're talking, you know, communities that are 400 serviceable addresses, sometimes less, I mean, we built in Redville, Colorado and I'm pretty sure there's 16 serviceable addresses there. Um, and we built fiber to the home, but what we did first was we built fiber into the community. I got the towers hooked up with fiber and then I fed fixed wireless throughout it. And we were able to do, you know, our LTU wireless package, which we can get 75 megs, you know, download 25 megs, um, upload on that and we can get it out into the community. And this was an area that people were previously with CenturyLink or with the current fixed wireless provider were getting, um, maybe three megabits per second. You know, if they're lucky, maybe five megabits per second on download. And so to have 75 megs is, you know, that's great. And those guys are loving that. I would love to get them fiber because, uh, and that's what we're doing. You know, eventually we're building off of the middle mile. We're connecting those homes along the route and we're getting them fiber, but it just takes time and it takes money. And until either I have a grant or we can fund that ourselves, you know, it's not a super easy task.
3: But it's, but it's a great use for wireless there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and And
3: And you're fiber fed, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, that was important to us is we don't sell it as the end all solution to either customers or the municipalities we're working with, like, hey, this is great, but um, don't get stuck on this. Like, don't assume, you know, your 75 meg upgrade is fantastic, but, you know, we're here to build fiber. And so don't lose focus. Don't don't start going, our broadband problem solved. We can work on other things. You know, let's get fiber. Let's get something future-proof because in the next year or two, 75 megs isn't going to cut it. I mean, it really almost to an extent doesn't cut it now, but to that guy who had two megs, he is stoked yeah. to have 75 megs
3: well, what band are you operating in
2: uh five gigahertz
3: okay see every every show i have to make my little little nudge to uh, mr mitchell here about how well the trump's fcc did opening up the six gigahertz band which i think will be a game changer for wireless uh-huh. outdoor wireless so well job. and
2: and we've considered you know once we build out the area with fiber what are the other ways we can utilize wireless? And we're, you know, considering and talking that through now because we could just shut down all the wireless towers. But we also think that there's a way to tackle maybe even affordability in some cases, like with the school program we're doing. There are some really rural areas that we're maybe not trying to build fiber out to now. But I could, you know, instantly turn up a wireless circuit, try and get some wireless out into the community, and I can do that for fairly low cost to try and get some students connected for maybe like you know uh, a student program or something like that. So. You know, there's other ways to utilize it too, just beyond the the speed impacts or something like that. But there's a cost side that you know I don't have a huge bill to pay back, so I may be able to offer a lot lower cost. And some people, that's super appetizing too. Is I would like cheap internet that works well and is reliable.
0: So I I want to throw this at you, Casey. This um, the the question about uh, what are you running on the middle mile Uh, coming to us from Reed, um, a former guest on the show. and I don't know um, if you want to also tackle that Russ, because I'm sure you're running some middle mile yourself.
2: I can let Russ go first. I've been talking so much. I, I,
1: I don't want to go first on this one. This is not my wheelhouse. I, you know, my I'd have to have my network, my engineers here to talk about what we're what we're running on on the glass. You know, we're doing all backhaul. We are working with the state on a middle mile project here. As you know, California's allocated six billion dollars to broadband. Three and a half of that is going to middle mile. We're in initial conversations right now doing some middle mile work through our service territory so the state can have some middle mile access across our service territory. So, uh, I, you know, we're looking at selling them fiber, dark fiber, and letting them have at it, you know, go through it. You know, it, it's so, uh, but I don't, you know, as far as the technology, I'd, I'd have to defer to somebody has oh,
2: Chris,
3: I feel so guilty. I gave Reed a compliment. I didn't know it was him. <laughs> oh, no. I'll never hear the end of this now.
0: Uh, and yes, uh, great point, Reed, future guests, um, <laughs> deep, deep future. No, <laughs> um, Casey, uh, did you have any answer to that? Or is it, a, is it a little bit beyond what you are focused on?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we're just building fiber. We're putting fiber in the ground because it's a future-proof solution. As far as the equipment we put on either end, it's, you know, really dependent on what the community needs at that time. And we'll upgrade it as needed. Like we've already had communities. We put the fiber in and that's great because I can go, you know, virtually to anything I need whenever I need it. But for the meantime, maybe they only need a one gig solution, 10 gig solution. We upgrade you know pretty quickly based on capacity, but you know we'll always have enough as long as the fiber's in the ground.
0: Now, Russ, I'm curious. Um, if I asked you, what is a nightmare scenario for the middle mile that California's working on? Um, do you have a, like a, a nightmare scenario of, of how this could go in terms of them spending uh, all this money on the middle mile?
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 a replication of what happened in Colorado, Wyoming, and Washington. <laughs> you know, it's deploying. So middle it's mile. you, <laughs> 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 me. No, it's it's deploying middle mile to to suck up anchor institutions and and really screw up the the, the economic model in those rural communities. You know, uh, that's why every one of those middle mile are suspect in my opinion. So what's 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 good about the middle mile project as it's starting here? Knock on wood that things continue down this pathway is is they're not after that they're not after that anchor institution bill they're looking to actually create a middle mile highway for everybody to travel on and let folks ISPs incumbents uh, you know and competitors get on it and and just have affordable paths in and out so so, so let me, far, so let me just
0: jump in though, because I'm so I've been a member of uh, of Shelby since the beginning, the schools, hospitals, libraries, broadband association. Um, I'm sorry, schools, health, libraries, broadband um, association, and um, and I feel like they'd be like, our anchors need connections. What are you yeah. talking about? We need to connect yeah. The anchors.
1: Yeah, no, 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 no offense, John Winhausen. think he's a brilliant man, and I think he runs a great organization. Um, but I think what has to happen is, and it worked for me in Brainstorm when I was in Colorado, you know, we were able to partner with the middle mile and be the service provider of record, so that we were that local guy that got the phone call that, that was able to run over the past to make certain that we service the network and take care of the folks, right? If you if you start to just do middle mile from someplace in Denver, Colorado, or Sacramento, or wherever you're at, you know, you're you're not going to be in touch with the needs of the people in those communities. So it's, imp- it's imperative that these middle mile networks work with the providers in, those areas to allow them to partner and help, you know, maintain those relationships they already have with the schools and libraries. I'm not against schools and libraries. I want every school and library to be hooked up. Everyone in our service territory has fiber already. So I'm great with that. You know, the the nightmare scenario is a middle mile provider comes in and builds on top of me and goes in and gets it for less. And and now all of a sudden it's ruined the economic model for me and and it's going to cost everybody a little bit more because of the nature of how incumbents are are structured.
2: Yeah. And I'd like to add to that. I mean, you know, one thing that was happening a lot was with middle miles. Let's just build the quickest, cheapest, and easiest route. And what we're trying to get communities to do with middle mile is um, let's build through the communities. Like let's build along routes that we can actually build it into underserved areas. So when we built that route from Montrose to URA, we said, stop, let's not go down the highway, not go down on the poles that no houses are on. Let's build it along some of these county roads. That's gonna take a little bit more money and it's gonna take a little bit more time, but I'm gonna run fiber past." You know two thousand homes and then let's add enough capacity to where a provider could come build off of that and and, you know actually connect those homes and that's what we're trying to do right now so we built the middle mile with you know uh dola state funds and now we're trying to go back to the state and say hey these underserved communities there's a middle mile circuit running through it right now there's fiber there's excess capacity the people who own this would love to give us that capacity we just need some grant dollars to go build it out last mile into the community and hook those people up so stop Just building the easiest route, maybe if you can spend a little bit extra money, build past some people and hook people up along the way, that's best case scenario. Then you really get it out into the rural communities. It's impossible for a provider to do that on their own dime, especially a local one, especially a private one. But if they can partner with the community and they can build this middle mile route, get some extra connectivity into the density areas, they can also build it through the really rural areas and get fiber to the premise out into these areas you would never imagine to.
0: Well, I'm just <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, I haven't heard people talk about it like that before um i did have a I did have a question that I wanted to ask her that you just reminded me of, which is just like it's perfect me to take such a great point and go with and go to you ever have any elk attacks like like what's it like you have any crazy animal stories building <laughs> in these super rural areas? <laughs> Uh, can I ask a follow-up question? Like, what
2: triggered that? <laughs> like, <where is> that? <laughs> you were talking
0: earlier about building up these mountain passes and stuff like yeah. that. And you know, like a friend, a friend of mine you know, hunts elk know up there I regularly. Can... And I was like, you know, these things are scary. Like, elk attack! Elk attack! We've got, got,
1: we've got rogue elk attacking right now. Is
2: that what? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Just I mean, there's, like,
0: mountain
2: lions in an area we're trying to build right now. Like, you know, that would be the closest thing I could attribute to it. But I don't think that there's, like, too many elk or, like, even an animal that would come up to a very loud boar machine and, you know, try and attack it. So I think <laughs> our guys are fairly safe. I was trying
0: to wonder because I know Travis has problems where sometimes in some neighborhoods he's his crews have been threatened um, by human I was gonna beings. was going to say. So uh, that humans, would be
2: the closest I could come to it is like it's someone humans. coming out with like a shotgun or something and you know trying to threaten the crew member, but
0: not okay All right, no, no,
2: okay. <laughs> but Casey,
3: who's in charge of all this cash in your state? Then they, you need to get in front of them because you have a five rust score right now, so they should
2: give you all <laughs> kinds of cash <laughs> that deployed. We try, I mean, you know, they're. <sighs> i don't know we're a small local company we don't know how to lobby or how to talk to those guys you know necessarily all the time but we we try and work through our local guys so there are people who want to build broadband here as well and it's the local communities we try and one convince them of um how we'd like to do it and how you know we can offer them an insurance policy hey we get it's scary to work with some guy who's you know basically asking for millions of dollars but can i give you some insurance so that you know, in case you don't like us in the future, or we didn't do what we, um, you know, promised to do, you have some fiber at the end that you can maybe incentivize the next guy to come in with. Um, so we we do it on the local level, and then on the state level, you know, that's just any any talk we can be invited to like this. We're, we'd love to do it. We love talking about broadband. We're happy to talk about it with anyone. And you know, there's people at the state who we've gotten to know a little bit just because you know we're trying to explain our ideas like hey let's do it this way this is great and also just project recognition you know some of the things that we're doing um with our local guys i think you know people are starting to notice some of that stuff and go oh that's a unique way to think about it like the middle mile like let's build middle mile with a lot of capacity so we can uh hook up people along the way um and we're starting to do that in some communities and i think hopefully people are starting to take notice and then you know, hopefully the next time someone asks the question, well, where do you want to send money in the state, they can go, well, any project that wants to build it like this, that's a great idea. We should do something like that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Travis, just to answer that real quickly, too, I think you have to know where the money's getting put. You know, this money's getting allocated. It goes to the states and the states then allocate it from there whether they give it to the state broadband offices, they give it to the counties, they give it to the Department of Local Affairs in Colorado, they give it to, you know, they give it to all sorts of the department of technology here in, in California. You have to know where the money's gonna go and then you're gonna have to work those, you're gonna have to work those angles. You just have to, you have to be there to tell them why, you know, I built a, I built a little, the first thing I did when I came here was built a little sheet that talks about Cisco Telephone, the challenges of building in the area, you know, and it's all the talking points that I want, I want to control the conversation. I want to tell them why <laughs> Putting money here is, is a good investment for the state of California so that when that money starts to get allocated, they think about us. You know, I think it's it's just a matter of getting in front of the right people as they start to have, uh, you know, the
3: ability to distribute those funds. Nice. Yeah,
0: Travis, we're running out of time. Any, uh, any last questions you got you want to pump out?
3: No, I'm rooting for you guys. Hopefully some of these tax dollars will go your way. So it sounds like you guys are doing good work. And, uh, Chris, you should find out who these people are so we can talk. Actually, you know what? I do have one thing because I always give the government a hard time on everything they do. But I was listening to, um, what's her name, Uh, our senator, Klobuchar, give a conversation on a uh, podcast. And you know what? I was pretty darn impressed on how good of a handle she had on this. And it actually sounded like there was going to be a lot of good things that come out of this. But I was really surprised at the timing. Like, I thought this was going to be, like, tomorrow. I mean, no, she's like, this could be... Three, four, five years out, some of these programs. So, if you're a small operat- operator like Casey, don't assume this is coming tomorrow. You know, build build your business model around the fact that you might not see these dollars for 48 to 60 months.
0: Well, at the same time, I mean, Russ, you can give us a sense of how you did in Washington, but I feel like some of these states are whether it's rescue plan dollars or other things that are available uh, there was cares act that that will soon be no more um uh not be able to use after the 31st of this month but, um, there's some states where there's like a constant cycle. And I think that's kind of what you want. You don't want a situation where you just like drop these big loads every now and then you want to kind of like ramp up and, uh, make sure that, you know, Casey can digest it like, uh, some kind of big snake. I think like a long time ago, I did the whole thing about a, uh, like an animal moving, um, the moving through the snake, the, the gerbil or something like that. And, uh, people didn't like that so much. So I thought I would call, call it back. But anyway, you want you want that to be, you know, like moving through the process. Um, uh, Amy, you know, um, in the show that we just did that you referenced, Travis, with John Chambers, we talked specifically about the timing on uh, the $42 billion and how it's going to be hung up on FCC mapping and stuff like that. Uh, so I recommend people check out community broadband bits for um, uh, the, this, this week um, in order to see that. But, but Russ, like, um, you know, it seems to me like right now states have a lot of tools to be able to time this right.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of tools. There's a lot of money out there. That first round of ARPA is just now hitting the ground, you know, and so you're going to see these states start to allocate those funds. You know, like I said, California's got $6 billion They got access to that now. You know, we can start moving out. That. That's before the $42 has been, been allocated by the feds, right? So there's there's states, I think a lot of states, I know Montana allocated $350 million. You know, Washington's done $350 million. You know, there's these states, a like billion in North Carolina, you know, there's money in these states now. And they're trying to get that money allocated and, and success is them spending money on quality product or projects, you know, so. Let's I hope think-
0: so. I'm really worried that North Carolina, Doug will talk about this next week. I'm afraid that that's just going to be a big old check to charter spectrum. That's going to be ugly. <laughs> <I
1: think. Man. laughs> rumor, rumor has that may be true, which is, yeah, a little unfortunate i guess
2: chris i like your idea if you can put it in digestible like even if you can just spread that out and create a recurring program like to russ's point like who are the creditable providers who are providing service in that and do you really know until basically you like go through two or three cycles of grant programs with that same provider and see if they were able to deliver in smaller chunks and so that's how the state's kind of you know built it is hey we've got a chunk of funding that comes up every six months and we're able to apply to it and did this provider really go you know Take this project and do, go do something cool with it, and it's great because now we've gotten in front of those guys, and hopefully we've gotten enough of a reputation now where we've done a few projects, and you know every time they see our name pop up for a grant request, they're like, "Well, those guys do a great job. Why don't we give them some money?" Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Well, let me. I want to comment on that because from this policy side, from the state side, one of the biggest challenges you have with that is these legislators are 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 built on uh, spending money, and success is the money they can move. You know, and if if they allocate funds and they don't get spent. Then then it it, then it looks like it was a bad allocation of money. And that was one of my biggest challenges in Washington. I said, look, I'm not going to spend until I know exactly where it's got to go. You can give me three hundred fifty million bucks, but we're going to do this in a in a in a a way that we're going to do it methodically, you know, to where we can make sure we're getting that money to the right places. But legislatures are not set up that way. They're they're set up to if I give you the money, otherwise I'm going to give it to somebody else who can spend it quicker and faster and use it today. And that, unfortunately, is kind of counterintuitive to what's got to happen.
0: Yeah, it's 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 mind blowing. I I ran through this with Minnesota where, um, you know, we we had we had these massive surpluses in the past. Now they seem tiny. Travis, I'm sure you're hoping you have a number of hopes. I mean, Minnesota is projecting a seven point seven billion dollar surplus over the biennium the next two years. Previously, we had like, you know, a billion dollars, two billion dollars. It seemed like an an incredible amount. And so I said, take three hundred thousand dollars out. And in and, and put that in in the six years fifty thousand dollars and and I, the response I got back was well we can't do that because we can't bind future appropriations and I was like no appropriate it put it in an account give them the authority to spend it over three years or four years rather than over one or two years and they just like, there's a sense of like you can't do that and I'm
2: like you absolutely can do it you just choose not to right and, yeah well, and, and what happens when you take you know let's like you're saying. I don't know, thirty-two million dollars, and then you put that up for like a small company, like a small. I, I would love the idea of taking all thirty-two million dollars and go building projects, but that's probably not realistic for you know every small company out there. Which we'd love those guys to go build the networks because they're the ones who are in touch with the community. And so I don't want so much money that you know our operational standpoint we're going to crash and burn. I want enough money that I can handle in project sizes so that I can go you know in the next six month cycle take the next you know million or ten million dollars.
0: Exactly. And not only that, I mean, this is this is something John Chambers had proposed too for federal funds, which is to say it should be in smaller chunks and you only get more money once you prove you've done a good job. And 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 that just solves this issue we have with a company like LTD, where um, many of us have concerns about their ability to deliver. They and some people that I trust who are working with them say they do have an ability to deliver. Well, if they got it in small chunks, they'd be able to prove that. And then we would not have these worries.
2: Yeah
1: you're going to have, we're going to have supply side challenges and that supply side also falls on the labor side. We're all going to be trying to build here in these next five to 10 years. And so there's going to be a tremendous shortage. It's going to get nutty. And, you know, you don't want to put haphazard networks out there. You want to make sure we're getting quality construction out there and make certain that we're allocating it equitably. So, I, you know, there's got to be some thought to, to methodical spending of these funds.
0: So, uh, I just have to say that I, I've really appreciated the chat. There's a discussion about um, my, um, I, I, would, I would say, my, my documenting my eccentric style <laughs> and unpredictableness. Um, Travis, I any did last say something
2: about you? a highlight reel. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I absolutely think that that would be uh, wonderful um, for internal well, you know, I, use
3: only. It's amazing, Chris, that in one hour we've come up with the Rust score, which is genius, right? So, if you have the higher Rust score, the more money you get. That we're going to allocate dollars in small small amounts, and you have to use those. Prove that you were use them successfully. I mean, what's the problem here? Maybe we, we should. You, maybe we need a
0: backronym where someone yeah. takes R U S S and turns it into something that would make sense for the Rust score.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we got this whole. Careful.
2: So what? How about we lobby?
0: Really useful scoring system.
2: There you go. Let us rural underserved service score.
3: Oh, there Nailed it. it! I'm telling you, the Russ scores the genius idea of the day. Well done, Russ. That was yours, Travis. And, and, and Casey, <laughs> <reminds if> you're, <laughs> you, Casey. since you were here, you have a Russ score of five. So right? You get, yeah. A, yep. I get grandfathered in. Yep. <laughs> I love it, Chris. Since you're like the government guy here, why don't you go make that happen for us?
0: Yeah, I will. Uh, I will start. Yeah. Um, um, you know, smoking the cigars in the back room so we can figure it <laughs> yeah. out. Well done. <laughs> Um. This is. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. I really appreciate uh, your time, Russ and Casey. Um. I look forward to uh, bringing you back if I can find time between all of the shows with Reed on them. Um, and um, uh, we have uh, an exciting uh, one show next week, and possibly I'm gonna see if it's if uh and Kim and um in and, and uh, Doug are up for potentially doing uh one the week of Christmas Eve, week of Christmas, I guess, um, in which um say hi to Kim. Excellent um because next week i think we're gonna topic we're gonna do a ton of topics about stuff that's like going on um uh in the in more of the what's happening lately um i kind of think it'd be interesting to do a, a retrospective show where my my staff is working on um a retrospective show for the community broadband bits in which uh, everyone will have a chance to talk about sort of a, a key story that they thought was really good um i don't know if people get tired of those sorts of things but i think it might be interesting to try and do a show of sort of like 2021 like what are the what are the big stories and uh and reflecting on that a little bit so um well, if you you have,
3: have, abe's on to something chris we should also get some um distributors in here to talk about what's going on in the in the supply chain you know parts so and piece, bits and bobs
0: i i like that idea a lot i'm just i've been on multiple panels with folks and I have to say that the things that they answer those questions with are not super enlightening. But okay, if okay. um if Abe has ideas for, for who might be willing to talk about that in interesting ways, then uh, I'm totally up for it. Cool. So yeah. or Travis, if you have ideas too, like I'd love to. Well, I don't know what we can
3: talk about for an hour. Yes. I talked problem. about a
0: deployer today about handholds and, and he yeah. was just telling me the same thing you were, Travis. And I'm like, why can't you just create another handhold factory? Like, I understand you can't spin up a uh, a fiber factory. Like, you know, it takes a long, it takes, you know, many years to build that. System. But like building a handhold, like it's concrete, right? I mean, like maybe it's plastic, but like, you should be able to like build it. And now that we know that there's going to be yeah. demand in Latin America after the United States um, finishes
3: its builds. Like, why, why are we short, seeing shortages there didn't anyone to work down at mcdonald's you think someone wants to deal with heavy concrete vaults i mean yeah you know, <laughs> you know what, what was it 11 million open jobs right now the last one people yeah. want is making vaults i'll tell you that they're heavy
2: I,
0: okay i mean i, I believe it well, but I, it, we also have the yeah. buy american stuff which is going to complicate everything like we need more things produced in the u.s if they're gonna if they're gonna go by the statue so um yeah i mean anyway like i i'm up for it i'm not i don't have the ability to structure a good show on that right now with what i know okay. um so anyway we got kim and doug we might have kim and doug again <laughs> we've got some really interesting people lined up for uh for january that we're trying to find some good dates for um obviously russ and casey are gonna um be welcome back uh we might have to let casey's boss come in because he's also really fun too so um i uh, really appreciate you guys making this such a great show uh i am looking forward to uh, future shows we got a few more here and then we'll take a little break so um thank you everyone for coming uh this has been another episode of connect this